Before we get started with today's episode, I just had to say as a disclaimer that none of what I say in this podcast is actual advice. If you really feel like you have a mental health disorder or are dealing with anything personally, please seek out professional help. And again, none of what I say in this podcast is actual advice. So thank you guys, and let's get started with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Sum of Life podcast. I'm your host, Liam Scully. In today's episode, we're going to be doing a deep dive on cognitive behavioral therapy. So without further ado, let's get right into today's episode. All these websites and studies that I'm getting all this information from will all be in the show notes below. And just to name them outright before I get into it, the general overview of cognitive behavioral therapy I'm going to be discussing from verywellmind.com. And then the studies I'm going to be discussing are from the National Center for Biotechnology Information and kind of slash the National Institute of Health. So let's go over the general overview of cognitive behavioral therapy. So what is it exactly? Cognitive behavioral therapy, or better known as CBT, which I will probably be referring to it in this episode as CBT, is a type of psychotherapeutic treatment that helps people learn how to identify and change destructive or disturbing thought patterns that have a negative influence on behavior and emotions. CBT focuses on changing the automatic negative thoughts that can contribute to and worsen emotional difficulties, depression, and anxiety. These spontaneous negative thoughts have a detrimental influence on mood. Through CBT, these thoughts are identified, challenged, and replaced with more objective, realistic thoughts. So like it says there, anyone with depression and mainly anxiety, this therapy is very useful for those with anxiety disorders. CBT can be extremely useful because it identifies thoughts and behaviors based around those thoughts and works on changing them with a clinician or a therapist. And it makes sense because cognitive part of CBT is focusing on your thoughts and of course behavior of CBT is focusing on the behaviors and actions that you're doing from the thoughts that you're getting. So like I said, people with depression and anxiety might find this extremely useful type of therapy. And the list of problems that it treats are from addictions, anger issues, anxiety, bipolar disorder, depression, eating disorders, panic attacks, personality disorders, phobias, and problems with stress. And CBT is a highly goal-oriented and focused type of therapy, and one in which that you're going to be talking to a therapist pretty actively, and that therapist is going to take a very important role in the process of getting you to a better state. And like it says here, the therapist will often give you homework assignments to do to complete between each of your sessions. And I always love examples, so a good example of this is if you're afraid to go outside for any reason. That could be the thought, I'm afraid to go outside. What the therapist focuses on is what evidence do you have that makes you afraid to go outside. Then you can start slowly working your way up to changing your behavior of staying inside, which can really reduce your window of tolerance if you start avoiding things. And in this example, not going outside, you will start to perceive outside as a threat. This might sound like a confusing way of explaining it, But just to reiterate, you being afraid to go outside is something that the therapist will want to work on with you to improve your mood 
by making it okay for you to go outside because there is no threat outside or there's no reason why you should be afraid to go out there. Which just ties back to your anxiety. The thought, the fear, something outside is dangerous. And then the behavior of you stepping outside, feeling the sensation of anxiety, going back inside, that's the avoidance behavior. And that's what the therapist wants to work on with you, is that you can go outside, feel the sensation of anxiety, let it come down and ride it out, do what you have to do in those moments to help yourself, but don't avoid the situation because your brain will just continue to perceive that as a threat. And that's just one example. And so CBT in that way, when you're actually working on it and your therapist is giving you homework assignments, it can actually be a relatively short and effective treatment option with some patients only being in for 5 or 20 sessions or 5 to 15 sessions, which is pretty much saying about 5 to 15 or 20 weeks, which is not that long in terms of therapy. So it's really trying to tackle the problems. And like I said in the beginning, it really is a highly goal-oriented form of therapy that your therapist will work on with you. And again, what it does is identifying your negative thoughts and your negative thought patterns and your behaviors that follow those, and then working on practicing new skills, setting new goals, and just really problem-solving the stressors in your life with the therapist, of course. And another big part of CBT is self-monitoring, and CBT can be a lot of work, and keeping a diary might be something that you forget to do, but it's very important that you take note of how you're feeling, like self-monitoring, to really track your symptoms, behaviors, your thoughts, and your experiences over time. See how you're improving or how you're not improving. And yeah, the progress is gradual. So you will notice again after like five or six, seven weeks that some things really have gotten better because you're forming new habits and forming new behaviors and then your thoughts aren't the same as what they used to be. So you're really expanding your window of tolerance, at least in theory. But it does say here the potential pitfalls are change can be difficult, CBT is very structured, and most importantly, the person must be willing to change or want to change for CBT to be effective. And something I dealt with is that it says here is even though you are identifying certain negative thoughts, simply becoming aware of them, like meditating upon them, does not make it easy for you to alter them. But something aside from what the website is saying, just from a personal note and experience, a lot of what my change has been about is through the action and behavior of doing like a said call, quote unquote, exposures, and then learning how to cope with that exposure in a way that wouldn't make my mind perceive it as a threat. And of course, just like anything else, I mean, this type of therapy doesn't work for everyone. There is probably no one end all be all for any type of therapy. But some very useful statistics around CBT is that it was found to be most effective for panic disorder and phobias specifically with around 90 to 95 percent of those treated by CBT responding positively to the treatment. And it should also be said that for any type of anxiety disorder CBT ranked higher than medication and traditional talk therapy. It was known as the best type of therapy in this specific study, studying CBT medication and talk therapy, with medication being second and talk therapy being third. But again, it should be noted that CBT is done with a therapist. Traditional talk therapy is something completely different. Your talk therapy that you're doing with 
the therapist is based around cognitive behavioral therapy, not traditional talk therapy. But yes, just about for every category of anxiety, it ranked at least 75% of people responded to effective treatment, except for PTSD disorder. That was around 60 to 65%. And even for those with OCD, it ranked near 85%. The main thing about CBT is that it really works on breaking the cycle of your anxiety, where you'll have the trigger, you'll have the perceived threat, the apprehension about that threat, and the constant intrusive thoughts. Then you'll get the body sensations, which are just the sensations of anxiety, and the interpretation of those sensations as catastrophic, something like impending doom, something horrific is about to happen to you, and then it just goes back again to the trigger, to the perceived threat, and so on. And the cycle just continues over and over again. And that's really what CBT works on breaking. And it does a really effective job of doing that. And just to go over lastly, the, the underlying concept behind CBT is that thoughts and feelings play a fundamental role in our behavior. And it gives a great example here that I should have said earlier, is that a person who spends a lot of time thinking about plane crashes might actually like avoid air travel as a result. And while you can't control things around you for the most part, you can control how you interpret and deal with things in the environment. And that's really what cognitive behavioral therapy does. So I can say I've been using CBT, or more specifically ERP, which I'll do another deep dive on, and they've both been very effective for me in the way that I've been using them. CBT and ERP are both really general, but I'm sure your therapist can find a specific way for you to go about it as everyone is unique and different with their experiences, but for the most part, extremely general, and that's why it makes it so standard for the therapist to tackle it in a certain way. It just has to know more about you before you actually delve into the world of CBT or ERP. So I hope that was a pretty general overview of CBT and some stats behind it, and more or less a deep dive because there's not much to go on it other than looking at the type of therapy that it is and what it does for people, and which disorders it works for. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and I always end with a quote, and today's quote is from Dr. Michelle Pierce, and the quote goes, in quotes, our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors are all interconnected, end quote. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I'll see you guys next time for the season finale. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about me, or what I'm doing, you can go to my website at someoflife.org. There, there's a bunch of resources and contact information, as well as ways in which you can contribute. And on the contribute page, there is my Patreon, which has a $5, $15, and $50 tier or option. And all three of these options are a one-time, once-a-year charge. So I know it says per episode, but I, as the Patreon host of that page, get to decide when to charge my patrons. And if you subscribe to one of those tiers, I'll be sure to only charge you once for the whole entire year. The $5 tier, for example, is just supporting the show. $15 gets you a custom wall art that has to do with mental health. And $50, I donate half of the proceeds to a mental health institute of your choosing. But all these ways and tiers help the show. And I highly appreciate it if you even just check it out podcasting and doing this is a lot more work than one would think and I definitely learned that just by doing this and which is why I'm also plugging my Venmo which is just at Liam underscore Scully which is at L-I-A-M underscore S-C-U-L-L-Y. Any donation via Venmo or Patreon is highly appreciated. 
And if you want to keep up with me, the best way is either to email me at liamscully at someoflife.org or to follow my Instagram page, which is at someoflifepodcast. My Instagram page, I post pretty consistently every three days. So that is probably the best place to follow me. And you can also DM me on there as well. But thank you guys so much again for listening. And I'll see you.